Hello and welcome to Minnesota's Swine and You podcast series, a University of Minnesota Extension Swine program. Today's podcast is a research update on Seneca virus A seroprevalence in the U.S. pig farms and biosecurity procedures to prevent indirect transition. My name is Sarah Sheik Belke, your host, and I'm a swine extension educator with the University of Minnesota. Joining me today is Galeremy Priest, who is a recent graduate of the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine with his PhD in veterinary medicine. To get us started today, Galeremy, will you tell us a little bit about yourself um, your background, how you got to um, where you are currently, and also include who you worked with on this research. Hello, Sarah, and thank you for having me here uh, so I can talk about the research that I did during my PhD work. Um, um, so originally, I am from Brazil. Uh, I was born in a family of hog producers. So my dad has been producing pigs since before uh, I was born. And that's actually the reason why I decided that I wanted to become a swine veterinarian uh, and work with pigs too. Um, and that's what I did. And then in 2014, I got my veterinary degree in Brazil and I joined a major swine producing company uh, where I did uh, a lot of extension veterinary work. And I also managed the health of the multiplying farms um, in the south of Brazil. Uh, and then in 2018, Dr. Fabio Venucci from the University of Minnesota, he invited me to come to the U uh, for a PhD program. And then he introduced me to Dr. Cesar Corso because they would both uh, co-advise me during my, my time in the PhD program, um, which is when I graduated in November of 2022. And, uh, and then since December of 2022, I have been working with Topics Norsen USA. So uh, it's a swine genetics company. Um, and I'm working now in the, uh, in the role of product performance manager. Interesting. I always find it interesting, um, the individuals and primarily the, the graduate students that I talk to on the podcast and getting to hear, you know, a little bit about their background and where they came from and, and how they got interested in the swine industry and what led them to the University of Minnesota. So thank you yeah, for sharing that background. Yeah. We sure have people from uh, all over the, the world, I mean, all over the U.S. and all over the world, too. So, uh, yeah, it, it is always nice to listen to where people came from. And, uh, yeah, so. Yeah. So I alluded to it a little bit when I said what um, the research update for this podcast was going to be. But can you share a little bit more specifically what research topic that you will be talking about? So today I'll be talking mainly about uh, one research project uh, from my PhD work. And this one in particular, I conducted with uh, Dr. Cesar Corso between 2018 and 2019, in which we were interested in assessing uh, the seroprevalence of Seneca virus A in U.S. pig farms. So uh, in other words, we wanted to have an estimate or to know what was the proportion of sow or breeding and growing pig farms in the U.S., that uh, were exposed to the virus, right? And at the same time, we wanted to perform some uh, exploratory modeling analysis to, um, uh, to see if we can find what are the risk factors that may be associated with this previous exposure to the virus, right? And uh, so that's gonna be one we're gonna be uh, uh, 
probably spending most of our time with this uh, research in particular. But since we're going to also be, since we're going to be talking about risk factors, uh, I thought it would be very good to talk about another study that I conducted with Dr. Fabio Venucci, and I think it would bring a lot of value to our discussion because uh, in this one we were interested in evaluating uh, different biosecurity procedures. So they're standard biosecurity procedures that pig farmers and even farmers from animals of other species already do, right? Uh, to see what the, their effect would be to prevent the indirect transmission of Seneca virus A between pig populations. Very interesting. But before we get further in our discussion as to exactly what you did for this research, um, are you able to share who the funding source was, or maybe it was a couple sources for, for these research projects? Yeah. So the first study, uh, the seroprevalence and risk factor study was funded by the National Pork Board. And then the second study was funded by the Minnesota Rapid Agricultural Response Fund. Thank you. Yeah. Th thank you. And thank you for the funding agencies too. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to be talking about it right now. So <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, it's always important to give a shout out to the funding funding sources because they are able to make the research possible. Yeah. So now we'll get back to talking about this research that you did. Can you give us a brief introduction to the research study explaining why it was a valuable project to do for the industry? Yeah, so we should probably start talking about the disease itself and why we actually care about it. Uh, so the Seneca virus uh, is a fairly new uh, virus and a fairly new disease uh, in the swine industry. Uh, actually, let me step back. I mean, it's not a new virus, but only it's a new disease, right? We didn't know before that it could actually cause disease in pigs. So um, Seneca virus, or we just call it SVA, it causes a vesicular disease in pigs. And the clinical signs, they're very similar to other vesicular diseases, such as foot and mouth disease, which is probably the most famous one, right? Uh, which, you know, they are diseases that need to be reported to the World Organization uh, of Animal Health right? FMD or foot and mouth disease can have a great impact uh, for the food security of our country, right? And uh, SVA looks exactly like it, right? Uh, SVA itself is not reportable to uh, uh, the World Organization of uh, Animal Health or OIE. You could just uh, call it OIE. But other diseases such foot and mouth disease are. So that is actually the only reason that we care about SVA, right? SVA can only uh, affect pigs. Uh, and not only others, and not other species, right? While FMD can affect pigs and other species as well. So every time we see vesicular disease signs in any species of animals, in this case pigs, of course, uh, we need to further investigate uh, to rule out the reportable ones. And this is actually causing a lot of trouble for swine producers and swine producing companies and packing plants and even state and federal animal health agencies around the world. Uh, because when a pig population is suspect of having this reportable disease, these pigs uh, cannot be moved. And as you can imagine, this causes a lot of uh, logistic problems, right? It's kind of curious because the first documented case of vesicular disease where Seneca virus A was present actually happened in a harvest facility here in the state of Minnesota in 2009 in pigs that came from the province of Manitoba uh, in Canada. Uh, and then the large scale SVA outbreaks, they were only reported uh, starting in 2014, starting with Brazil uh, and right after the US, China 
And then other countries in the Americas and also in Asia uh, started reporting uh, large-scale SVA outbreaks, so several farms breaking at the same time. And yeah, a lot of, uh, you can say it was a lot of chaos, you know, to solve all that issue and see what was going on. Uh, we didn't know that uh, it was, uh, you know, a new virus, let's call it, right, causing these problems, and it could be foot and mouth disease. So uh, it took a while, but we finally figured it out. But since this is all very new, there's very limited information about the epidemiology of the disease. Uh, the whole industry was seeing a lot of outbreak reports, and uh, they were conducting these emergency investigations or foreign animal disease investigations to quickly uh, rule out uh, the reportable diseases, right? And, and, and because of that, there was no estimate about the prevalence and the risk factors associated with Seneca. And uh, all the processes involved with the transmission of the virus uh, were also not known. We didn't know how it worked, right? So knowing these is actually a very important step so we can start think and start talking about developing plans to control the spread and maybe even uh, start thinking about disease elimination plans. And then and in the end, yeah, so both of these projects were done to serve as uh, let's call it foundation um, studies for other studies and also to provide information for, uh, uh, to develop uh, science-based solutions for the producer and also uh, for uh, governmental agencies. Because like you mentioned, um, Seneca virus A is very similar in its signs that it shows in the pigs, right? Compared to foot and mouth disease. And so, um, yeah, there's there's really no way to do differentiation between the two just looking at right you have to do that further diagnostics to be able to rule out foot and mouth disease is that correct perfect yeah 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 you need somebody to go in there collect samples send it to the lab you need to run the tests to rule out uh, uh, other uh, diseases right so uh, yeah it takes time and that's why it creates a lot of logistic issues right because mm -hmm. in the case, what if it really is foot and mouth disease and you move these animals and then you transmit the disease to other parts of, uh, of your country, of your state, you know, that can create a lot of problems. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's a, it caused a lot of headache. So, <laughs> Right, because those pigs are, um, as they're going through that diagnostics and while they're waiting for results, they have to be held, right? They can't move. And if marketing is the destination or another barn, um, they have to remain in place, right? Until the foot and mouth disease is ruled out. Yeah, exactly. Because if you find it very close to marketing these animals and the packing plant is counting on them, you cannot move them. So what is the packing plant going to do without these animals, right? Uh, what if uh, with mo in most cases, uh, the signs are actually seen in the packing plant? So what's the packing plant going to do without these animals, right? Uh, they may not be able to move these products uh, out of the way. So we just, uh, you know, it gets in the way of getting the job done and, and, and you know, harvesting other animals too. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it is a big logistical problem. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so before I guess we get a little bit too far, um, tell us, how did you go about completing this research project? So for the seroprevalence and uh, risk factor project, uh, we designed it as a cross-sectional study. Uh, so participation in that study was totally voluntary. We called or emailed major veterinary clinics in the U.S. and also production systems uh, throughout the country. Uh, we invited them to participate, and if they agreed, each production system or veterinary clinic was asked to uh, randomly select breeding herds or uh, growing pig herds for sample collection. Um, and then both 
participating veterinarians and in some cases uh, we ourselves as investigators collected the study samples in the farms but uh, for most of them uh, it was uh, the own companies or the veterinarians that were collecting it for us. Yeah, after, I mean, sample size calculation, we determined that we would need a lot of samples to be able to, to pull the study off, right? So we, need, we needed uh, 97 breeding farms and 97 growing pig farms to participate so we can estimate the prevalence of uh, Seneca virus A in the US. Um, and then in order to tell if a farm was positive or negative, uh, we de determined that we would need at least 29 blood samples so we could have good confidence that the, the, that the farm was free of the disease or if the farm had the disease in it, right? Or at least, I mean, the antibodies, right? So in all the samples, they were tested at the UMN Veterinary Diagnostic Lab for the presence of uh, IgG antibodies uh, with a uh, immunofluorescent antibody tester. We can just call it IFA. So that was, I mean, what we needed to do in order to be able to estimate the seroprevalence. But then talking about the risk factors, uh, then uh, since we were, we would be, you know, determining if the farm was positive or negative, all we needed to do was to develop two questionnaires, uh, one for breeding farms and another one for growing pig farms uh, that were designed to capture uh, general information from the farm, such as farm type, uh, is it a breeding herd or is it a, a finishing farm, right? Uh, what's the farm size? So how many animals are in there? Uh, information about the personnel flow. I mean, what kind of, I mean, how many people do you have walking in and out of these farms, right? How many workers do you have? Uh, where are these animals sourced, you know, and other details about biosecurity measures. Uh, and then we, we just ran univariable uh, and multivariable log logistic regression. So basically just modeling, just uh, to see if we could determine what were the associations uh, between, all of the, uh, between all of these uh, farm characteristics that were recorded uh, with uh, uh, the farm being either positive or negative to the farm, uh, to the virus. So now that you explained how you went about completing this project, what were the results? So, yeah, as you can imagine, as you, we did have a lot of uh, blood samples and a lot of uh, farms participating. In the end, we were able to get 193 farms to participate. Uh, we had 98 uh, breeding farms and 95 breeding farms participating from 17 different states uh, in the United States. And then uh, the whole study was conducted between October 2018 and October of 2019, so within a one-year time frame. Uh, after testing all of those samples, uh, we, we could see that uh, 17 out of 98, so 17% roughly, of the breeding farms had at least one positive sample. So 17% of the farms were seropositive, meaning that they were exposed to the virus before. And these farms were located in different states, such as um, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, uh, Minnesota was also had also positive cases, uh, but we also saw in North Carolina and in Texas. Now for the growing pig farms, uh, seven out of 95, so 7.4% of the growing pig farms uh, had previous exposure to Seneca virus A. Uh, and then in the states of Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota again, uh, North Carolina, and Oklahoma. For the survey, uh, our response rate was actually pretty good, which was actually very exciting because we would need a lot of information to be able to do the analysis, right? So 80% uh, of the farms uh, responded to the survey and sent it back to us. Uh, and it was a very lengthy one. So thank you for all the producers and veterinarians and partners that you know pulled that one off. And because uh, I honestly wasn't expecting such a high response rate. So that was actually uh, pretty awesome. And uh, 
so, and for all the farms that did respond, uh, we got all of the positive breeding farms responding to the survey, uh, but only six out of seven positive growing pig farms were able to respond uh, to this questionnaire for us. And then after the analysis, we found that uh, for the breeding farms, so uh, the farms might have uh, you know, sows, uh, the carcass disposal method was actually uh, highly associated with the farm being positive or uh, with the farm having a previous exposure to the virus. So when I'm talking about carcass disposal method, I'm asking if the farm either composts the, that animals on site, if they bury the animals on site, if they incinerate the animals on site, or if they practice uh, the rendering of these animals. And that is the one that uh, we are interested in right now because when you render your animals, you basically have trucks going into different farms and picking up these dead animals and bringing it back to a rendering facility. So uh, this rendering truck is one very big risk factor uh, uh, um, you know, to bring pathogens into your farm because they're, they're just driving around over different farms that you don't know their health status and they can be exposed to different pathogens and then bring it to your own farm uh, just because of how they operate, right? So sow farms that practiced rendering were uh, had nine times the odds of being positive or uh, of being seropositive to Seneca virus A. And that's quite a lot, right? And then uh, for the biosecurity measures uh, that when we asked them, uh, so farms that reported having at least five or six biosecurity measures in place, and then we ask questions regarding, uh, do you have a downtime? Do you need a downtime to visit your farm, right? Do you have a shower in, shower out uh, procedure in place? Do people have to change their clothes or their boots to go in, right? Do you have a uh, 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 visitor login, right, to be able to enter the farm? So farms that had five or six uh, seem to be protected. They had 20% of the odds of being seropositive when compared to farms that reported only doing four or less of these biosecurity measures. So this is just basically saying that, you know, more biosecurity measures in place and the farm seem to be protected against the virus. Um, and then for the growing pig farms, uh, we had less information about them and the very few farms were positive. But one interesting association that we found is that uh, growing pig farms that hired external pig loading crews, so different people that don't work in the farm, they would come in just to help market the pigs. Uh, they were uh, nine times, they had nine times the odds of being seropositive. So, which, you know, if you think about it, 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 the possibility is that these external pig loading crews, as they are rotating between farms, they get in contact uh, with the virus and then they are able to spread the virus around. That was great that you had good response rate to your survey, because I know, like you mentioned, that is not always the case when um, we send out those surveys. So that's great that you had that high response. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, for a few of the farms, we were the ones collecting the samples. So we help them respond the questionnaire. And then mm -hmm. I saw, I mean, the time that it took to actually respond it. So, uh, yeah. Thank you again for everybody that participated and that took the time to respond to the survey. So. Yeah, it sounds like from the responses, you got a lot of great data. Yes. Mm -hmm. So based off of the results that you did share, what conclusions can be made from this research project? 
So I would say that cereal prevalence, it seems to be higher in breeding farms than in growing pig farms. And this makes sense if we think about the way that the swine industry uh, organizes the, the production, right? So breeding farms are in a continuous flow production style, uh, meaning that you always have animals present in the barn, right? So older animals are going to leave the farm and younger animals uh, are going to be brought in to replace the older ones, right? So you have... Um, you kind of have like the, the perfect scenario of infected animals being at the farm at any given time. Then, then they're able to shed the virus and transmit the virus or the, the disease to the incoming young animals that are usually naive to, the, to, to this bug, right? So in theory, this can be a, uh, let's call it a perpetual system, right? Where exposed and infected animals are always transmitting to susceptible animals that are constantly being introduced into the herd. Um, and then growing pig farms, on the other hand, uh, they are most often than not in a uh, all-in, all-out system where all pigs, they're brought, they're brought into the barn at the same time, uh, but they're also removed from the barn and sent to harvest at the same time. So this way, we are emptying the barns, uh, washing them and disinfecting and breaking this disease cycle. Uh, and this prevents the next uh, uh, young incoming animals from being infected with the, with the, with the bug that was uh, inside the barn before. Um, and then um, other key conclusions here would be that, you know, key risk factors associated with uh, previous SVA exposure were the rendering of dead animals in breeding farms and also uh, uh, the access of external working crews uh, to the growing pig farms. Uh, so, and at the same time, the implementation of biosecurity measures seem to have a, uh, a protective effect against SVA uh, exposure. So, uh, it really makes us think that there, there are th some things that we can do to protect our farms, right? Some things that we have to keep in mind. Uh, and then we know that uh, biosecurity uh, can help us. So you alluded to it a little bit already, but why are these results that you shared, why are they important takeaways? Like what, what can the industry learn from them? Uh, I would say that the results, they show that there are, there are a lot more susceptible farms than infected farms in the industry, uh, meaning that there are many more farms that are currently at risk of being infected with Seneca, uh, and they could potentially increase our current pro problem, right, in having more foreign animal disease investigations being conducted to rule out uh, the important diseases that uh, we truly care about, right, so uh, that we are really concerned about their consequences, right? So if the prevalence is, uh, if the prevalence in the growing pig farms is truly lower than in the breeding farms, perhaps focusing on protecting the breeding farms or eliminating the disease from them would greatly benefit the industry as a whole. Um, the risk factor analysis, uh, it also shows that it may be a good, good idea to rethink our uh, current methods for carcass disposal, uh, because these rendering trucks, they may be acting as mechanical vectors and transmitting the virus from infected to uh, susceptible farms. Uh, external working crews, same way, they may, you know, just be visiting several sites, big sites in a short period of time. They may also act as mechanical vectors. And those are all factors that the pig farmers and the producer companies are able to control. So they may be able to use this information to protect their herds. Um, more studies are, of course, they are needed uh, to further understand the mechanisms behind these factors, right? And also perhaps we even have better estimates about the risks involved with, with these factors. Uh, but the very same findings from this study 
were also detected in other studies for uh, that were investigating the risk factors associated with other swine diseases, such as the porcine uh, reproductive and respiratory syndrome, or, or PERS, uh, porcine epidemic diarrhea, or PED, right? And influenza, and this uh, influenza has also been uh, reported, uh, has also been reported for studies in other species, such as in poultry, you know, that uh, rendering drugs uh, make it seem like you know, the farms that do rendering are more likely to be infected with these viruses, right? So, um, and then again, in the breeding herd model that we ran in, in, in the study, the farms that responded to having more biosecurity measures in place, they seem to be less likely to be positive to Seneca. So biosecurity seems to have a, to be a real uh, uh, protective agent here, right? So standard biosecurity measures uh, really protect us from disease exposure. Thank you. As you were um, talking about those takeaways and, you know, what the industry can learn here, I was, you know, kind of thinking and relating that to my work um, as an extension educator. Um, not only does your results help me in my job, um, but also make kind of gives me a little bit of a to-do list as well. Um, so one of the to-do list is, is I have had at least one opportunity to speak to those in the Renderers Association about biosecurity. Um, so whenever I have data such as like what you have gotten from your research here, it's, it's always good to add that data when I'm speaking to various groups. So yeah, this is, this is really good that you're able to, like you said at the beginning, to learn more information about Seneca virus A and, and how the biosecurity relates in terms of its spread throughout the industry. So this is, this is really valuable research. Yeah, I, I think so too. And then uh, um, I wouldn't say that, you know, you don't, I mean, what are you going to do with this information, right? I'm not saying you should stop rendering or, or you know, do one practice versus the other. It's just important to know the risks that are associated with doing that, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you need to do to practice rendering, uh, uh, and there are several reasons to do so, right? Uh, perhaps we need to be really extra careful with how, I mean, the truck is entering uh, the farm where uh, our dead box is, right? So uh, to help us mitigate the risk and, uh, you know, not having these uh, unwanted pathogens entering our farms, right? So, Right, exactly. And now the renderers, they can kind of create their biosecurity measures. So as they do visit these farms, they are also able to help the industry in mitigating these risks. Absolutely. So I know you've um, kind of alluded to it already that you have done some other research um, that's looked more at biosecurity procedures to prevent the indirect transmission of Seneca virus A. Um, can you briefly explain a little bit more about what you did in that research and um, a little bit more about the results that you got from that research. Yeah, so for, for this one, uh, we can talk just briefly about it, but uh, the objective of the study was to evaluate the role of fomites in the indirect transmission of uh, Seneca between pig, uh, pig populations. Uh, and then for the study, we had a room of experimentally infected animals. So there were animals that we infected with Seneca, and we were 100% uh, we certain that they were shedding the virus. Um, we then had three other uh, treatment groups with three replicates each. So we had a low biosecurity group in, in three different rooms. So we had low biosecurity room number one, low biosecurity room number two, and low biosecurity room number three. So 
for this group, it basically meant that we would be going into, first we would go into the infected uh, room with infected animals. We would spend 20 minutes with them. And then we would just walk straight into the one of the low biosecurity rooms without changing any clothes, without changing gloves uh, or boots, without washing our hands, without doing anything. We're just walking straight to them. And then we would handle the animals. And then with that, we, 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 we could evaluate if, uh, the animals in the low biosecurity rooms would be infected with the virus or not, right? Uh, and the difference between the low biosecurity and the other treatments uh, was that uh, for the medium biosecurity treatment, for instance, we would change our clothes and our boots uh, and also our gloves going into the medium biosecurity rooms. Uh, in the high biosecurity group, uh, we would have to leave the infected room, shower, completely change everything that we were wearing, right then wear new coveralls new boots and new gloves everything and then go into the high biosecurity uh rooms right and we would also be able to evaluate if these animals got infected or not right and then before we would enter any of the biosecurity rooms we would swab our boots our coveralls uh, uh and our gloves right for instance just to see uh if they were still positive uh with seneca uh the infected uh, group then as i said they, they were infected at day zero and then we had nine movement events that happened from days two to days 10, post-inoculation of the infected group, right? And then we started doing this movement between the infected and the low, medium, and high biosecurity groups. And then we found that uh, the virus, it was, uh, was successfully transmitted to pigs in all of the low biosecurity rooms. So low biosecurity one, two, and three, pigs from all of these rooms were infected while all the pigs from all the medium and all of the high biosecurity rooms, uh, they remain negative for the entire study. So it really showed that Seneca can be directly transmitted, uh, indirectly transmitted, sorry, between pig populations through fomites. The fomites being you know, the people carrying through their boots, gloves, coveralls, for instance, right? Uh, and when I completed the study, I immediately thought of the risk analysis portion of the prevalence study that I talked uh, about before, where you know, the South Farms that reported having more biosecurity measures in place had lower odds of previous XCA exposure. So that model, that study, with this study now showing that only the pigs in the low biosecurity group, so pigs that were exposed to the clothes and boots and gloves that were, you know, that were used in the same room of the infected animals, right? These animals got infected. So this shows that just standard biosecurity works. And then we need to keep working hard to improve the biosecurity and all of our farms should keep all these bugs out. Thank you for further explaining that because it sounds like that was another great project as well that you were able to learn a lot of valuable information to share with the industry. So to wrap up our discussion here, um, are there any closing remarks that you would like to make at all? Um, I don't know, maybe there's something you forgot to say or you wish I would have asked you. I'm only going to be repeating myself right now, but I mean, it looks like we have a lot of uh, susceptible farms, so more susceptible farms than infected farms. Uh, this can be true maybe for the case of Seneca virus, but it's also likely true for many other diseases, right? So uh, I don't think that anybody would argue that we have to, you know, keep pushing and working to keep these pathogens or these diseases uh, from entering our farms uh, of enemies, any um, animal species that you were working with, right? So for the sake of animal welfare, uh, even food security, or even for economic reasons, right? It's important to keep diseases out. 
So we already have a lot of information about different ways to protect our farms. So again, biosecurity again, right? Uh, uh, so let's keep pushing uh, biosecurity and protect, it, uh, and protect our herds from diseases. Well, thank you, Guilherme, for sharing your research on Seneca virus A, zero prevalence in U.S. pig farms and biosecurity procedures to prevent indirect transmission. And I know for those folks that are listening, if they are um, interested in uh, reading Galeremi's paper that he has published on the zero prevalence work um, that was published in the Frontiers in Veterinary Science, um, I will give that citation in the show notes so folks can find that there. But lastly, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the University of Minnesota Swine and You podcast. Once again, this has been Sarah Sheik Belke, Swine Extension Educator with Glarmy Pries, who is a recent graduate of the University of Minnesota's College of Veterinary Medicine. To further connect with University of Minnesota Swine Extension, please visit the swine-specific webpages on University of Minnesota Extension's website at www.extension.com umn.edu backslash swine. And on those pages, you will find connections to our blog, as well as our Facebook page. To learn about research being done by our swine faculty in veterinary medicine, please visit their Swine in Minnesota blog, which can be found at www.umnswinenews.com.